It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Who they think they're going to beat them Bengals? It is the Locked On Bengals podcast with your hosts, Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Today, we update Mock Madness, we talk about draft things, and we talk about Joe's philosophy, and this is where we're going to start, that everything is content. Right before I hit the record button, Joe told me about a time when he was 18 and he tore up some ligaments in his shoulder. He said it's the A through C a through C ligaments. There's three ligaments, A, B, and C. That's and maybe, what I said. Maybe that's true. <laughs> But then I went and Googled it, and, and let's see if I've got it here still. It's the yeah, try and pronounce this. acromyoclavicular ligament. So I'm wrong. There's no A, B, and C. It's just A, C for short. Everything I thought is I tore three ligaments. Maybe you did. Maybe this, we're talking ligament. about the joint. No, no, no. It's just one ligament. years ago. It's just one ligament. Anyways... Yeah, so I'm we're talking this out, and he's Googling it and fact-checking my stories because I fucking misremember things all the time, especially when they're happening a long time ago. Um, and we do this all the time while we're not recording. Jake and I will talk. So we'll, Our episode could be 40 minutes, and we'll talk for another 40 minutes. Just oh, at really, least. Yeah, shooting the shit and just bouncing ideas off each other and just talking about normal stuff. And I'm always like, this is what I say every time. We'll have a good conversation. We'll actually, we'll talk about football sometimes, 20 minutes. And I'll go, you know what? What are we doing? We should have been recording this. This is stuff people will listen to. So I just said that just then, that people will listen to our injuries. And he's like, no, they won't. What's your I worst thing? I didn't say, no, they won't. Oh, you didn't? You didn't disagree? I, I never disagree. I just got to give you, you a hard time. <laughs> what? Do you have a bad sports injury? Because mine was I was sacking the quarterback. He fell on my shoulder, and that was it. My worst injury is sprained ankle. That's it, huh? I, I mean, sprained I, ankles to be bad. So. It was it hurt a lot, uh, but I have migraines. That's my that's my injury. That's your injury. My, I have chronic exercise induced migraines. I went out and played in a dodgeball tournament a week and a half ago, and just the exertion. I think it's to do with my lungs. I think I might have some sort of mild asthma going on or something. And I mm. think you look I, like I, you have asthma. I took. I don't know what that means. <laughs> Uh, I, I'm insulted, but I, I, I did a, I did a pulmonary function test when I was in college and it came back inconclusive cause I couldn't even finish it. There's, there's this one test, I think it's maximum spirometry where you exhale as hard as you can for six yep. seconds. Yep. And I think I, I do could do like once a year, I could do like three seconds. Right. It's tough. It makes you feel like your lungs are throwing up out of your, out of your chest. I, I have to do like it for physical gonna, at work. I felt like I was going to pass out. And, and, and since I couldn't do it, I tried probably five, six times with this tech. 
yeah. who's, who's administering the test. He's like, well, if you can't do it, that's it. And the, that results in the test being, quote, inconclusive. That's so I never, I never found out. You know, they gave me an albuterol inhaler. But anyway, I have this new theory that is when my lungs aren't properly oxygenating my blood well enough, it leads to vasodilation, which leads to the blood vessels in my You've brain. You've been swelling. on WebMD. No, no, no. I, there is, I did look. There is a connection between asthma and migraines, but the, the actual the reasoning, the science behind it is unknown. But if any doctors are out there listening... You diagnose him. Tell, tell me if that's why I'm getting by. Hey, if there's any doctors out there, please, I need free medical advice. Any lawyers, too, I, got, I need hey, you to call me. I get free medical advice in Canada now. I just have to wait. You to can you can fact check another injury of mine. I also was getting tackled one time, and I put my arm down to catch my fall. Don't do this, by the way. Just fall Never on your shoulder that. That, you, or your you back. You can see that injury happen in the NFL. Yeah. So I cracked my radial head, which is also called the funny bone. And exactly. I was going to ask you, do you know why it's called the funny bone? Because the bone is called the humerus. Yeah. There's your fact for the day from the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Also, acromyoclavicular joint. And I don't ligament. care about that one. Yeah, Actually, that ligament, good. not joint. No, it's both. But there are there are multiple ligaments in there. So you weren't wrong about you might have torn all three of these ligaments. And that would be the acromyoclavicular, the coracoacromial, okay. and the coracoclavicular this I is almost painful. got through all of them. There's three ligaments in there, though. Yeah. A, C, C, and C. I don't know. You know, that's like the only injury I can, when players have this, and they're like, oh, yeah, they might miss a week or play next week. I'm like, I couldn't throw or lift my arm for a, I couldn't lift my arm for three yeah, weeks. It's, it's like tiny little bits of ligament that connect your clavicle oh, to yeah, your shoulder. You're, yeah, you're really underselling it here. No, no, no. I'm saying that it your bone is no longer connected to your oh, shoulder. Oh, I know. My, my collarbone, that little bump on your shoulder, that sticks up higher yeah. than the other side now. Yeah. It's, it's essentially a broken collarbone, but instead of the bone breaking, the ligament tore. My and doctor asks me about it every time. So is it, should I get a new doctor because he doesn't remember this? Like, he always looks at it and stops. Tabs. I guess oh. so. Maybe like, he stops about, and looks and he goes, oh, yeah, that's right. Maybe he's worried about arthritis. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. We got into this conversation because... Jake says his shoulder hurts when he does anything, you know, throwing or anything like that. Yeah, and I was baseball men. practice started with my son, and I was out there and throwing the ball around, and I'm I'm feeling it already. You're complaining about your your intercostals. I don't know what that is. The muscles between your ribs. No, these are like the muscles on the ribs. Don't you have anyway, muscles like your ribs? We had we had a poll yesterday. It was the last matchup in our. Mock Madness series, and it was Devin Bush and Devin White. It's the two Devins, and not the last one, right? What do you mean? It was the last, the last of one that of round. the second round. Sorry, the last yeah, okay. one of the second round. And Devin Bush, Joe thought this would be our closest. I did matchup, I and I thought, I thought, you know what? Everybody's been told for the last three months that Devin White is the linebacker the Bengals should want, and now we're seeing that he's been projected to the Bucks at five, and he's not even going to be there. But you know what? We all want White because he's being mocked higher. Because I think there's a chance he, he's still there. I do too. If if the Bucks decide they want Ed Oliver, sure. Right. Find another spot. People have said it's the Raiders or the or the Bucks. Right. Four and five. Yeah. But there's a there's a significant chance they go either Josh Allen, Ed Oliver, uh, Quentin Williams if he's still there. I don't think he will be. But I think this still has a lot of ways it could go. And I think come to your senses, linebacker value isn't there. Yeah. Even even Montez Sweat. 
could go five. Potent- yes. I, I mean, I think if you, I think you're probably reaching at that point, but. Rashawn some, Gary could go that high. Yeah, some team could look at these guys that are athletes and, and had the production, like the tape. Maybe they fall in love with them against Auburn's right tackle, number 70, and off you go. Yeah. You think, you think you know what, we're going to put him against Bobby Hart twice a year. We'll draft Montez Sweat. I mean, if it's an AFC North team. You anyway. could do that. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that was our matchup yesterday. Devin White runs away with it. A lot of people, including the podcast Joe went on with Dane Brugler, Josh Norris, Ted Nguyen, and who's the guy I'm forgetting? Dane Brugler. You know, did you say him? Ben Fennel. Ben Fennel. Did I say yeah. Ben? Did I say Dane Brugler? Anyway. You, said, you did. If you listen to those guys... Devin Bush is in their top 10 and Devin White was not in the top 10. There's consensus amongst very smart, smart draft people. Maybe not consensus. Maybe that's the wrong word, but there's a large contingent of draft evaluators who say Devin Bush is better than Devin White on tape. And they tested a similar athlete. So go get your better tape guy. And I didn't argue with them too, when I was on there, because our grades are close enough that if you say you like Devin Bush, I don't care. Fine. I, I think they're both good. You're splitting hairs. I think, but there's since, so here's my theory is that Devin White has just been mocked at five for so long because the Buccaneers fell in love with him that now Bengals fans think, well, he's, he's definitely the better guy. And Devin Bush, when we started this process was let's get him in the second round. And now he's, well, he's uh, Tom McShay, I think today said he has him in the top 10 too. I think Kuiper does too. Yeah. And they are projectors, even though they have evaluation opinions and, this kind of leads into Arif Hassan's uh, work on The Athletic where he yeah. ranks, you know, and he, and he splits the difference. Not every draft guy has the same purpose. And a, an evaluator, somebody who watches tape or uses analytics or both or all, but he makes his own conclusion on each player and ranks them accordingly. Where a projector of the draft is somebody that says, I think this team's going to take this guy. They're more into mock drafts. They're more into hearing sources and, and relaying them. It could be someone as simple as Ian Rappaport who doesn't, you know, watch any player at all, but he gathers information and ranks accordingly. So he comes out with a draft board every year. That's basically the consensus of the two while also comparing and ranking the two. So you can get a good idea of the differences. And uh, so thinking of that with Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay, they may be more of projectors. And because of it, I think they know Devin Bush is going to go top 12, 13, 14. Yeah. I think, I think somebody said the floor was the, 12 maybe for, 15 for it, was, Bush. it was pete prisco wasn't it no but i think today it was one of the espn guys i i can't remember now okay uh trevor sycama was was tweeting a whole bunch of notes about it earlier today so if you That's go right. find him on twitter he'll he'll have the summary yeah kuiper was doing a um what's it a media call is that when they're on the phone with a bunch of media members all around and you get to ask one question so i know they, i know they do them I, yeah, it, it must have been today because they had quotes from both of them had to be. I, I typically enjoy those, even though, you you know, I don't. The thing about Kuiper and McShay is even though they may watch film, they have a team of people that watch film for them and submit the grades, which is cool. That's how it kind of does work in the NFL anyways. Uh, so sometimes when they're talk, they're regurgitating information. I used to hold them in high esteem. I still do because they're godfathers of the business. But uh, some so sometimes when they're speaking, I don't know if it's the difference between their evaluation and what they've heard. And I think that delineation has become clearer amongst fans. At least I hope it has in, in recent years. Maybe this is just me. Maybe I'm speaking for myself. And and that the guys that say they're quote-unquote draft experts, some of them, you could be a draft expert that doesn't do his own evaluations and is just right. 
you're an expert because you have the information to project what's going to happen. You can also be a draft expert if you're someone like, you know, Joe, even who who's doing evaluations and coming up with his own board for an evaluative purpose instead of for a, a projection purpose. And I think that's important, too, when you watch or, or read a mock draft. If you actually read the first paragraph to find out, is this a mock that they think the team will do or is this a mock that they would do? Because it's going to be different for, between projectors yeah. and evaluators. And, and writers could probably do a better job of making clear what they're doing in some cases because sometimes it's not clear. And I think they are getting better, especially as more people get into it because yeah. I think it's a growing field, right? Like I thought this was a pretty saturated market five years ago and it's still exploding with the draft, I remember memory, you. for example. I remember you thinking that way, and uh, especially, I mean, Jake and I have done projects together, multiple projects together. Every few years, we at least get together and try something new, because I think we, we both think the same way, that there is something, we don't know what it is yet, maybe it's, we hope it's a lockdown podcast, but there is something in this field that is still untapped and unused as a medium to reach more people and, and convey your thoughts and present football in a new way, and I think... Every year or every couple of years, it's we do find whatever that is, whether that's Vine clips, six-second clips of football plays. That was awesome for a few years, and then that got absolved. But Twitter yeah. has been huge for it. I mean, there's a lot of different ways. Podcasts are big now. We still think there is still untapped places that we've talked about that we don't like to put out there. But still, yes, I think there still is a growing market here. I think there's a lot of people that just want more information. That's always why it's surprising to me that when you watch like NFL sponsored shows on ESPN or NFL network and they kind of are dumbed down sometimes. And I think, I don't know, man, I think fans are ready for more. They won't, they, they crave this stuff. And the, and the shows that do more, the shows like, what is the NFL matchup with South Antonio and it's on at five 30 in the morning. It's on at five 30 in the morning. That's two 30 in the morning for me. I'd stay up and watch it. I know I should be recording that on my DVR. Actually, I don't have cable right now. I, I get rid of it in the summer, spring and summer. The thing is, even when you watch it, they only have, what, an hour, I think? Yeah. And and so it's like two plays maybe per game. And I don't even know if they got to every game because there, there were a couple of times I went to watch it and they didn't even talk about the Bengals. And I'm just like, oh, well, okay. No, they got in deeper in like into like four to six games, which – Maybe yeah it's, okay that's what it was. It's cool, it, you know the deep the level they get. I mean they got good people on there. Greg Cassell is as good as it gets. He's oh, really yeah. someone that inspired me to do more and change what I did a long time ago. Yeah, I've been a big fan of Greg's for quite some time, and even Ben Fennel to to throw out another name. He, we we talked about him. He was on the podcast I mentioned earlier. But th- there are quite a few skilled skilled content creators out there, and people are finding their niche niche whatever whatever that word is. I always use niche. Yeah. Anyway, we've got another poll for you today coming up, and this one should be interesting, especially if you listen to the Bengals Beat podcast. The Bengals Beat writers, Paul Daner and Fletcher Page, think that there is a negligible chance that Ed Oliver is going to be the pick for the Cincinnati Bengals at 11, and their rationale for it, and I would love to talk to them about it. I actually asked Paul if he would come on the show. I think he's probably a little bit busy this week, but... They think that there's no way the Bengals are taking a three-tech to come in and back up Geno Atkins. And obviously, Joe and I have talked about this a lot, and we think that there are many opportunities when they're in a nickel set rushing the passer when having Geno and Ed Oliver on the field next yeah. to each other and two three-techs makes a whole lot of sense. That being said, I, I sort of get where they're coming from, right? In, in that, you know, they're talking about going to more multiple fronts with three linemen. And in that case, maybe you stand up 
Carl Lawson on the outside and you have Gino in the middle and you just have three edge rushers on the field. And, and he's also talked about five man fronts being a thing. And I think if they go to five man fronts for pass rushing downs, it makes a lot of sense to me to have Ed Oliver out there, but neither here nor there. We've mocked Ed Oliver to the Bengals multiple times in mock draft Mondays. It's now seeming like everyone's caught up to the league. He's being talked about as a top six guy in the Josh Allen range for Easy. sure. Yeah. Uh, He's matched up here against Dwayne Haskins, who is the quarterback that is likely to be the best quarterback available. If if any if any of the top quarterbacks are available, eleven Haskins is probably the best one that that would be there in terms of fit and in terms of overall skill level. Yes, so you know I wonder about this this matchup. Oliver versus Haskins uh, both have won pretty handedly their matchups until this point. This is the final four now. I think Oliver, if people are going to vote in terms of the dream scenario, it's out Oliver, right? Because I think he's probably – him and Devin – I mean, Devin White just won on, on the other side of the bracket. So both those guys could go top six and we never get a sniff at them, right? But I think if people vote for pie in the sky, Oliver wins this one and say he's the better player, I'll take him. But I also think the way Haskins has beaten everyone he's gone against, that fans are going to say, I want the quarterback, number one. They're going to vote for Ohio State, number two. And they're going to say, more realistically, Haskins is the guy that could potentially be there way more than Oliver. And I think that could make this much closer than just a one-for-one pairing. We talked about the Devin matchup being one of the closest. I think this one. Besides maybe the final, whatever we end up with in the final, I think this one might be the closest one we have because I think there's a sizable amount of Bengals fans that just want a quarterback and think Dwayne Haskins is the answer, be they Ohio State fans, whatever the reason is. And I think there's another sizable amount that thinks Andy Dalton is the answer and Andy Dalton is who we're building around. And if you're doing that, then Ed Oliver is a clear pick, clear winner. So depending on which camp you're in, again, maybe another referendum on how much do you like Andy Dalton that's your. That's going to be your bright line in the sand there. Yeah, but even like I, I was looking at John Sheeran's tweets and I retweeted them today because it was Paul Denner that put up a poll, uh, do you want the Bengals to draft Haskins? And I don't know what they said on the podcast about Haskins, if that was an option or not, but John Sheeran co-tweeted it and said, and I think he's coming around to the idea of drafting Haskins. Basically, his point is, and I thought it was a tremendous point, is that the players you covet as thinking of best player available types whether that be Oliver, Devin White, Jonah Williams even, uh, maybe even Montez Sweat, are going to be gone. Let's say all those guys are gone. Now how are you voting? Because if you're voting between Jawan Taylor and Dwayne Haskins, I think it gets interesting. If you're voting between Cody Ford and Dwayne Haskins, Rashawn Gary and Dwayne Haskins, TJ Hawkinson and Dwayne Haskins, I think then these votes become, and we've seen Haskins have beaten, Haskins just beat Jonah Williams in the last round in this. So I you know, I think when people vote, they think they're voting against pie in the sky scenario still, rather than, all right, it may come down to a scenario where Haskins is near the top of the board. And for a quarterback, that's rare. Number one, number two, they may be presented with a, a rare opportunity. There was another poll, a follow up poll. So just to follow up on that, the first poll, the Dwayne Haskins poll was 47% of Bengals fans answered love it. 18% answered hate it. 35% answered Meh. So there's your spread on the Dwayne Haskins poll from Paul Danner Jr. That's 4,143 votes. So quite so a few very, votes on that one. Very few then hate it. Very few hate it. However, the second poll 
is which would you pick between Montez Sweat, Devin Bush, Jawan Taylor, Cody Ford? Bush is going to win that. Going away. Yeah, Not I'd even say 75%. Close. I don't even know what it is. But, and it is. What do you think the next one is? What are the options? Ford, Sweat, and who? Jawan Taylor. Uh... You know, I, I think people are going to go with the name and the offensive line because that's the mentality. I'm going to say they're going to say uh, Juwan Taylor. Juwan Taylor second is 17%. Sweat and Ford, 6 What and was 5%. the percentage for Bush, though? 72. Oh, okay. So I was really close. Yeah, I, I, I think I said you're you're correct, more or less. Well, I, I want to know exact. Was I correct or was I close enough? What, what's cr- or you, using hand grenades. You lose in prices right rules. I know. I went too high. The the crazy thing to me about this is how low Montez Sweat is compared to Javon Taylor and Cody Ford, who we've talked about is they're not even – Cody Ford I don't see as a tackle. The Bengals do, according to Paul Daner. They – straight up I asked him, you think the Bengals see Cody Ford as a tackle? He said, yes, they do. I think that's wild. And it is wild because you go and look at my answer to that tweet and he doesn't yeah. hit most of the important numbers that the Bengals draft right. to tackle. He, he passes most of the thresholds and not – and the weakest threshold is, is three cone, and he completely was terrible on that. But he uh, barely passes a lot of the thresholds. He's way off the averages. Right. His right. Exactly what I was going to get to. Average wise, he's under all those guys. They've passed on other players before that they said no, they're guards. What the same measurables as Cody Ford. Cody so, Ford would be the shortest tackle they've drafted since when six three. That's got to go back a long he's, time. He's got thir- six three and some change though. I think it's six three and three quarters. Yeah. All right. So he'd be close to Andre Smith, but Andre Smith had 35-inch arms. And he has 34-inch arms. Okay, but if you're going to be 6'4", you better have plus arms. He's got good. I mean, Ford at 34, okay. I mean, that's good. It's the target range. But my point is he doesn't make up for the lack of height. Height actually has a correlation of all the sizes, even more than arm uh, length for offensive tackle. Hmm. Which is weird. Yeah. And also interesting to me is that Jawan Taylor gets 17% of the vote being as I think, I, I, mean, I don't know, I think tackle is just such a contentious position. People see Jawan Taylor and think he's going to be a big guy that comes in and is a mauling right tackle and he'll be your starter at right tackle for seven years. And I sit there and I think, well, he probably can't, who knows if he can pass block and we have no idea what kind of athlete he is. I know I said that, right? I don't know if you saw that. I, that's what was my quote tweet on. If they take Taylor, it's... Kind of goes in line with what they've done. Guys who haven't finished or are able to complete an off-season testing, let's think of who they drafted. Cedric Oboyhe, John Ross, Billy Price. None of those you have want, turned out. You want to draft Juwan Taylor and guess that his athleticism is passable? Go go right ahead. It's right in line with what you've done. But they, They're already on three strikes. That's an out. And it makes it a risky pick doing that. Now you may say, well, on tape he's this. John, you knew John Ross was fast. I didn't need him to run. You're right. But if he didn't run, he doesn't go number nine. So my point is, for all these, and Ross got hurt running his 40, of course, and didn't complete the rest of the drills. That's why I say he didn't complete them. Uh, Billy Price, maybe he would have showed some tightness in his testing and wouldn't have been a pick at 21. You know, you, you can't just assume these guys would have been good athletes because sometimes they're not. We looked at... Jonah Williams, and we thought Jonah Williams wins, wins with athleticism. He's not the biggest guy. He comes out, he's just an average athlete. That has hurt his stock. He's probably going to go between 9 and 18, maybe 19. But point is, because of it, it dropped him down maybe 5 to 8 spots. And the same should be said for Taylor. Where were we getting Taylor before the combine? Between 20 and 40, right? Sometimes we were getting him in the second round. Nothing has changed. He has yeah. the exact same prospect before the combine because we – 
All we did was get a confirmation on his size, which is great. That shouldn't move him up really anywhere. So for me, when we say like, people use that argument for Devin Bush, well, he, he should be the same guy he was before the combine, but he isn't. In fact, we know now he's an elite athlete and has a greater chance of hitting his, his top end in the NFL. Juwan Taylor, we have no evidence of that. Yeah. And in fact, we can surmise that he's a below average athlete based on his body type. So for me, it's scary. Yeah. And, and, and that's what's leading me into the surprise of Montez Sweat is so low. Montez Sweat, I think, is emerging as a consensus top eight or so guy. And I've questioned where, where he wins with Montez Sweat. We, we looked at a video earlier today. He absolutely destroys subpar tackles. If you put somebody across yeah. from him who isn't, you know, uh, an average plus tackle, he's going to beat him consistently. Hustle, Stephen White, speed, right? power. Stephen White, SB Nation, I believe, is yeah. who wrote this. He used to play in the NFL for the Bucks. He writes yeah. good defensive line articles. I remember reading his Aaron Donald piece a couple years ago. I mean, he does this every year where he just focuses on defensive linemen. He loves Montez Sweat. He thinks he's freaky. He thinks he's long. He thinks he's powerful. And he beats up on lower competition. There is value in beating up on lower competition. <laughs> like, if you're supposed to beat a guy who's bad and you do, People are like, ah, he beat a guy who's bad. But at the same time, how many Bobby Harts are out there playing? <laughs> Bobby Hart gets beat because he's a bad tackle. It happens in the league where bad guys are out there, and they're going to get beat by Montez Sweat. Now, we same thing happens with Carlos Dunlap, right? He goes up against a good tackle, and we may not see him that game. He goes against some bad tackles for half the year, and he, he beats him up and takes over a game. And I think the comparison is just when you when you think of him in a Dunlap light, I just wish the, uh, the pass blocks were there, right, the pass defense. Yeah, the batted passes. But we talked about that being potentially coaching. And if you turn on the tape, you'll see him a lot of times running way behind the quarterback and his hustle yeah. will keep him in plays. And yeah. we, we'd it's have to different. see how that would change in the NFL and, and if he's asked to get in passing lanes. And who, who knows what he's even being asked to do at Mississippi State. I guess, you know, teams probably know more than we do anyway. Right. That'd probably be one of the questions you'd ask if you meet with him, which the Bengals did meet with. Yep. Montez Sweat. They've met with a lot of edge players. So I think when you're we're talking we started this conversation talking about that poll, I think people just voted for needs there. Rather than because people will probably look at edge. I had that when I, we were we talked about Sweat and Gary recently. Uh Peter King today had Brian Burns as their pick at eleven, which I would high five, man. I swear I'd take my shirt off and throw it out the window. Celebration type. <laughs> and so if they took Brian Burns, I'd love it. But someone says right away, why do they need another edge? Who doesn't need another edge? You tell me you don't need another, yeah. another explosive pass rusher? What? Who doesn't? Give I me mean, that guy. When, when fans think about needs, I think you're thinking if everybody's healthy, then yeah, you don't need an edge guy because you have five. But A, people don't stay healthy. And B, you, you need rotations at that position in the NFL. And, yeah. and it's interesting. That, that goes back to the Bengals Beat podcast as well in saying that they think that Bengals fans on Twitter, there'd be more upset Bengals fans if they pick Montez Sweat than if they pick Cody Ford. And I, t I can tell you, I am, that's Incorrect. not even in the same ballpark for me. No, I, I, you take Sweat, right? It's not even close. I, right. I don't, I don't want Cody Ford until 20s, if that. I know. I'm with you. I think more than likely he should be a target in Maybe if they trade down, right, and then they're like, okay, we're at 17, and they take Cody Ford, fine. But you're getting, again, again, be the third year in a row, they're getting no value for their pick and a high pick, right? Yeah. So you you got to draft one of these premium players at some point for a team that's 
aging and those premium guys that are should be coming to that next level those joe mixons william jackson's carl lawson's aren't there yet so you need to add more of these cornerstone pieces in my opinion and those come when you're picking top 12 or so if you can hit it right and it would really be a welcome change for the bengals to draft a superstar because they've had a couple picks in the top 15 in the last few years and William Jackson is going to be really good, and I'm excited about Joe Mixon. He's a running back, but still really good player there. I just it's been so long since they've hit a Geno Atkins, a Carlos Dunlap, and AJ Green. Yeah, Tyler Eifert. I'm ready. Right, and that's why I, that was my hopes for this pick. That was my hopes when the last four or so games were happening, and they beat the Raiders, and I said, "Ooh, I might be at Oliver there." You know, that's when my yeah. that's when my sights were set already. So. um yeah, I want somebody that I love the idea of taking a defender at 11 just because it could be the, I guess, technically most talented, highest drafted guy on their defense and how that changes. That's that's why when I think of like a Brian Burns, I go, there you go. There's your three, four looks, right? Him and Carl Lawson on the outside and, you know, figure it out from there. At the yeah, very least, good. it's a high ceiling idea with, I think, even a high floor when you're picking that early instead of. You could say John Ross is a high ceiling kind of pick too, and it just missed, but I'm ready for them to hit. Anyway, we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back and talk about some really interesting work Joe's been doing for, what, the last 16 years or so, and (laughs) the result is up over at The Athletic today. Joe will tell you a little bit about that after the break. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Bengals podcast. It is draft week and we are excited, but at the same time, I think we're feeling the burn already. I'm ready to just get there. I'm ready for Thursday. Even though I think we have some milestones still still coming. I've got uh, pieces dropping every day on The Athletic that I'm excited about today was really a look at the past 16 years of data keeping I've, I've done and I'm always adding to. But uh, I want to look for trends at some positions. Some are stronger than others. Uh, look at the average player they've drafted at every position of need this year. And also create some thresholds, which basically means like uh, – Receivers, let's say, are, are strong. I'm running a six nine zero and a three cone. The Bengals are they like that? That's that's someone they want. If you run less than a seven one zero on the three cone, they're not drafting you. Or really, it's really low. So I look at it and I say, well, I can take off DK Metcalf right away. And the Bengals don't like to draft receivers that run under a four six. They believe that was ninety three percent also. Uh, so if you run under a four six, we can eliminate some of those guys. And even though they draft an Auden Tate in the Uh, seventh round the outliers normally come very late so it makes sense to me that they may have thresholds at particular positions defensive tackle being one of them and I also took a prospect this year and laid it out next to their average and said this is the guy that makes the most sense whether they draft any of those guys or not but a lot of them were some of my favorite players I think with like Max Sharping and uh, Tristan Hill and guys like that Jake and also Dane Brugler from the Athletic so if you have an Athletic subscription check all this stuff out Dane Brugler also dropped his top 100. He's got a whole uh, beast, he calls it, a draft 
preview and guide that also comes with your athletic subscription and is definitely worth it and something you'll want next to you while you're watching the draft this weekend. Yeah. I thought I think the threshold stuff, the average stuff that Joe's done is incredibly interesting. And you're going to get some of that just from listening to the podcast and from stuff we'll put out on Twitter. But if you're not subscribed to The Athletic, and they don't sponsor us, and I wish they did, and we're going to... We're going to maybe follow up on that. But if you don't subscribe to The Athletic, I mean, you get you get some really good writers from that we talk about. You'll hear us talk about it, what, yeah, twice we a week? We mentioned a couple articles. Arif yeah. Hassan's work, Dave Brugler's work is excellent. And then you get Joe's writing, which is is really great, too. And if you're a Cincinnati person generally, you also get access to C. Trent Rosencrantz, uh, right. FC Cincinnati stuff, Xavier stuff, UC stuff. So... There's there's a big that that's what it's going to be like when you sponsor us the athletic. Oh okay, that's your pitch right there. That's, that's the one pitch. we got to clip it's, and we got to send so it good. to them. Yeah, it's so good. Honestly, though, but, they took they took all the best sports writers in Cincinnati except for maybe the Bengals beat guys, right? Because they took that from Dayton. Sure. J, Jay Morrison comes from Dayton, and and they got all the best writers for from Cincinnati and threw them into the athletic. And uh, on Tuesday, so if you're listening to this on Tuesday, it may already be posted. I'm going to have my top five at every position. I'm going to talk about a few of them, talk about some guys that didn't make the cut. Uh, just so we – this is a gear up. This is our draft prep for Thursday. So Tuesday will be that. Uh, Wednesday will be what I think the Bengals' big board looks like, and that's always my favorite last year. That got – it brought in, I want to say, 24 subscribers. That was my most all year uh, for one piece. And so that will come Wednesday, and I expect that to get a lot of hits and be – Pretty accurate as, as it typically is, but this year feels a little different. And then Thursday will be my final mock draft, seven rounds. Uh, hope to hit on a couple guys this year, even though I feel, like I, like I said, I think this is, I'm ready to be tricked for the first time in a yeah. long time. I'm ready to be tricked too, man. Give me something that's not Cody Ford. <laughs> okay. Trade back? Don't take Cody Ford, don't take Rashawn Gary, and, and I'm okay with you. I'm I'm nervous of a trade back that goes too far because we yeah. are recording live, so that'll get a reaction then, and then we'll, we'll get another reaction when they make the pick, and then I'm zooming off for the Avengers. But so don't go too far. Like we're already supposed to pick around nine o'clock to nine fifteen. If you go back to I heard was oh no, you're killing me here. But so if it goes to uh, nine forty five, nine fifty, ah, I might have to catch it during previews. That'd be terrible. And then yeah. it's Cody Ford, and I just shut my phone off and say, okay. Well, if Cody it's Cody Ford, Ford is a guard masquerading as a tackle. If it's Cody Ford or Rashawn Gary, I'll record it by myself. <laughs> and you, what, you, you can go, you can go enjoy your movie, and, and I'll, I'll deal with whatever Sentence. we have to record here. You know what Take else him. is crazy? Quentin Williams, man. Like People are so down on It's, it's like forgetting about him? him. Not down on him, just forgetting about him. Really? The, uh, maybe, maybe this is just because Paul Daner is trying to put together a board for the Bengals, but he has Devin White ahead of Quinn and Williams on the Bengals board right now. He thinks that they no. have Devin, and there's no way. I mean, no way. Um, there's no way, but... It doesn't happen. It's, it's too it's too need-based. I'm sure need comes into it to a degree, but it's too need-based. They're never passing on Quinn and Williams if they somehow have the opportunity to draft him. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you put Quinn and Williams and Devin White, I mean, it's unanimously Quinn and Williams is a top-two prospect in this class it's not there's no chance he's actually when i do mine i guarantee he's gonna be number two and that's only to kyler murray and i just gotta assume they like kyler murray and I, hopefully he goes number one and or maybe let's let's hope he doesn't go number one and the Bengals make a move to go get him point being um that should not affect my board where i'm really going to target between six and 13 of 
how I'm building what I think the Bengals are looking for. So how deep is your board going to go for the Bengals? Your your Bengals big board is that going to be for their first round pick? Or? Yeah, maybe sixteen to twenty. I mean, and then I'm going to have my board also attached to it. the board Jake and I have worked on. I shouldn't say my board. Jake has done a tremendous amount of work on it, and maybe even more than I have. Uh, and we built this together. It's it's, it's very. It's heavy on adding analytics for the first time that I've done this. People that have followed me a long time know I do a board every year based strictly on tape, a little bit of production and very, I mean, like one twentieth production and, and health uh, just to factor in these guys a little bit. And they're usually, it's usually built to gear to what the Bengals will like. I lessened that when I thought about fits this year and, and gave tape grades, but I, uh, because we've got a new scheme and everything's a little bit new with coaching staff, but we're adding in, thinking of the threshold stuff, also thinking of production and analytics and, you know, help of PFF watches every snap. So, you know, the games we don't get to see, they can fill in the blanks for us. And from there, we've got, I think I looked, it was 260 players graded, maybe 240. So I'm going to have a good chunk of that posted. And what I did last year was I had, I think, a top, the top uh, 40 for the first round. And then I'd updated it day two would be the, it showed the next hundred and then updated day three. I showed the remainder of the players on the board. So I think that's probably how I'll do it again. It'll be really interesting to me to see how this approach goes. I think we're going to have to make some changes. I'm expecting that things won't be perfect. Uh, even if you go look on the lockdown Bengals Twitter account right now, you look at where our ranks are compared to evaluators and the forecasters and there are some massive gulfs. Darwin Thompson, for example, we have 72nd. And the evaluators have him 235th. Forecasters have him 250th in the consensus you know, board. When he's Philip Lindsay this year, they're going to come back and say, wow, you guys are really high on him, weren't you? And we're going to say, yes, we were. Darwin that's, Thompson. That's what we hope happens, right? That's what right. we hope. We hope that we've nailed it somehow. We have a unicorn formula here. Unlikely, but, but. <laughs> but we don't, right? We right. don't. Nobody does. And if we do, it's because we stumbled upon it from blind luck. And because there are people out there doing with with statistics degrees and advanced, uh, you know, data work that are doing yeah. way more on the data than we are. But we're trying to marry all of this together, right? Nice. So the top 100 that we've come up with is here's the film, and let's make sure we at, we assess the risk factors, and we we we're essentially creating a risk profile. And that's going into the grade when we start to incorporate athleticism yeah. and pro football focus grading and the production metrics. It's like if we were insurance analysts, right? We're trying to assess the risk for each prospect. Yeah. So if a guy has missing links in his profile or negative aspects of his profile, it's going to weigh him down and allow somebody that has a similar tape grade to leapfrog him. And that's supposed to be the idea is that the guys who – listen, here's the thing, and people may think we overrate some of these parts of especially the athletic, athletic testing and production because I was like that. I was, used to think, well, I don't care if that guy had 100 tackles. That doesn't mean anything. You know, Well, tackles are the most overrated stat, and they are. I'm going to tell you this. But when there's a direct or strong correlation to the guys that have the most solo tackles on their team ending up being better players – I can't deny data that says, well, you got like an 86% chance of being a Pro Bowl player now because he had 120 tackles. Well, to be clear, that's not what it says, right? It's not. It's it's not what it says. It says that the average Pro Bowl tack, the the, the average Pro Bowl Bowl linebacker has 90 90 percentile market share on solo tackles, tackles for loss, whatever. So that's what you're looking. So, and, And then there's also like, of all Pro Bowl linebackers ever, 
Right. They had at least this percentage of market share. And there's there's no exception to that. Yeah. Right. That's the key one to me. If they say, and the number actually is like 25 to 30 solo tackle market share. And if it can get up to 40s too. But uh, the point being is you want them to hit the at least the, the mark of the minimum to make a Pro Bowl. Yeah. And if they don't, you're saying that it's it, an exception. The, Right. The history says no one's ever made a Pro Bowl unless they've had this many tackles and ran this for a three cone. No one's ever made a Pro Bowl. 50 years, I think. goes back to the 60s, I'm pretty sure. For a lot of these, they do. Some of them are in mid-80s, which is fine. But point being, they have have more than enough data to make this conclusion. So if they say no one's ever made it unless they had this many tackles and ran this on the three cone, why should we believe this guy's going to be any different? You're betting against all history, betting against 10,000 players. I'm not willing to do that. That guy should then fall farther on this board and allow us to consider the other guys that do pass those thresholds first. Now, we may watch him and say, man, the tape sucks. We talked about this with Caleb Wilson, tight end out of UCLA, and said, I just don't see it on the tape. But he passes all these marks that mean he, that say he could be a Pro Bowl tight end. And in that case, maybe we're wrong. Maybe watching him on tape is has a lot of errors, right? I mean, we see it all the time. I've ranked players plenty of times and come away saying three years later saying, yeah, I was wrong. I don't know what I was looking at on that. That must, I must've just been making that up in my mind or just didn't pan out. And I have no reason to go back and say why I was wrong. And then I look back and I say, no, his production was terrible in college. And I said, Oh, well, I didn't pay attention to that three years ago. Yeah. Maybe I should start looking at that. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's just really interesting to me to see how this is growing, to see how, there are people coming up with like dominator rating breakout yeah. age percentile. Like they're finding these things that you would never think about. You would think did about it. Th- read. I think it was on the ringer recently. It was just the other day. Read how someone did a report and interviewed teams to see how they use analytics. And the one guy said, they talked to the bills. They said, yeah, we use analytics. And it said, EJ Manuel's big hands will make him good in the, in the cold games. Like then the writers like what? That's not analytics. That's that I mean, a sure. fundamental misunderstanding of how you are supposed to apply analytic, especially threshold data, to evaluating NFL players. That is a fundamental misunderstanding. And these guys are employed by the NFL. That is right. sometimes mind-blowing to me. How, but oh. They went on good success stories, though. This this woman wrote a, a fantastic piece with because she she'd studied statistics and, and mathematics and things like that. She wrote a fantastic piece that pertained to baseball. And I think the Eagles, I may be mixing that up, but an NFL team was like, oh, we'll take you. You know, it means you at least have the mindset to figure this out. Uh, we don't know what we're looking for yet. That's what it's, That's what I got. That was the feeling I got from all these uh, interviews from most of these teams are we don't know where we're going. They've hired uh, firms and, and, and agencies to say, here's all of our scouting reports. Take all 10,000 of our last scouting reports over the last 15 years. Find the keywords in the guys that failed. Find the keywords in the guys that succeeded. Maybe our scouting reports will, can show a trend. And I was like, oh, that's a great idea. So they were like one thing, short accuracy. They said is the worst thing to look at for quarterbacks because of it. So that ended up showing up near the top of the strengths for all the guys that failed. Right. So you're using that first as a way to strengthen the profile, but really that should be seen as a negative. So it was very interesting to me. I mean, there was a lot of stuff in it. I didn't even finish reading the whole thing. Uh, and I'll look for it. I think Is I have it. I've got it here. I want to say, I retweeted yeah, it on my timeline. It's line. called The Race to Make the NFL Draft an Exact Science by Kevin yeah. Clark over at The Ringer. That went up today. So go check yes. it out. Went out, went out this good. morning. Well, yesterday by the time you listened to this. but Right. So if you want more of an idea of how the analytics is really 
just budding, right? We're not even close to where we're going to be. And I think we can see the trends already happening in the league. I can see it in the Bengals. I've got the, I'm looking at their linebackers recently and I go, oh, they've shifted. I'm looking at their, their wide receivers and I say they shifted in terms of getting guys that broke out when they were young. Uh, and so they've made the adjustment. And I don't know if they know what they're doing because they're not an open book. They really don't, you know, really let us get a get a view of what they're doing behind the scenes. But other teams that apply these same things that are more open to it, you say, okay, the Bengals must be employing the same people or doing the same things. Uh, I don't know to what extent, but that's why we wanted to really embrace it this year and see if we can find some links or or at least a direction for the future. Yeah, and we're going to come back to this the next few years and, and look at how the different weights maybe need to be tweaked a little bit. Maybe yeah. we need to weigh production more or less. Maybe we need to weigh athleticism less. That's a hunch that I have. The RAS score might be getting too much weight. But anyway... That stuff we're going to figure out, and that's why this is a particularly fascinating draft for us as Bengals fans, as people that have put together a board, really interested interested to see how it plays out. Also, fun fact, the cover athlete on the race to make the NFL draft in exact science, I believe, is Montez Sweat. Anyway, that's going to do it for this episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Please go vote tomorrow. Would you rather have Dwayne Haskins or Ed Oliver given the choice? I expect this one to be closer than the last. Please subscribe to the podcast if you enjoy it. That's on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or the new Himalaya app for a curated list of podcasts. The Himalaya app is definitely the way to go. That'll do it for us. We'll be back tomorrow with a What Would the Bengals Do mock draft. And that'll be after Dave Lapham tells us what they're going to do in the first round, of course. We'll talk to you then, Bengals fans. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On Podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. 